Hi, I'm Alan Zweibel, and this is Vicki Abelson's The Road Taken. And this is Vicki Abelson. And it is. Hello out there in Facebook land. So this is very professional. As you can see, we are in Honey's Den, and there is the naked man. I have to tell you the little story. Well, why don't you tell them who Honey is oh, first? So Honey is my mother. Well, Honey is oh, my mother. Well, yeah, I talk about Honey. Oh, who knew? So, who knew? <laughs> so, but your people don't know who Honey is. So this Honey took a nude painting class when I was it, it, when I was like 13 or something, and they had nude models. Oh, I thought Honey was but, nude no, when honey, she was no, painting other yeah, things. No, Honey okay. was dressed, but they were nude models. And in my house I have one of a guy with a guitar and pants because the model didn't show up one week, and so they got the janitor and he wouldn't take his pants off. So, but as you can see, my mother's very, <laughs> so, it's very, it's very uh, primitive. Inside there is another nude woman who was a blonde, but my mother's interpretation is she has very dark hair. I understand. Yeah. I'm just still hung up on the janitor who wouldn't take his pants <laughs> He off. wouldn't take his pants What kind off. of janitor wouldn't take his pants <laughs> What kind of janitor was this? It's I horrible. don't know. It's a it's, terrible story. It's, it's, it's sad. We're going to have better stories. We're oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to have, have wonderful stories. But before we get into wonderful stories, I just want to acknowledge the fact that there's craziness going on in the world. Besides him, I'm not going there, but um, just wanted to say that um, prayers, love, support, I put the money in the thing. I went to Hamilton last night. I won the lottery, which is crazy. Um, you won the Hamilton lottery? I won the Hamilton lottery. So what, what, what did that get you? Two $10 tickets in the second row. Wow. Oh. Okay. Wow. So yeah, crazy. So I took I took my daughter. I took Samantha last summer and paid regular price. But even that, we got a, we got house seats and we only paid face value, which was crazy. They were only like a hundred. But now you went each. again. Went again, but I had to take my mother because she hadn't seen it. So I had to leave my daughter outside in the rain trying to get a ticket. And it was crazy because. There were two seats next to me empty, and there were two seats in the third row, and they wouldn't sell her a ticket. I'm trying to figure out if this is a worse story than a janitor who wouldn't take his pants off. Because they're, they're both very terrible. sad. They're well, horrible stories. They're horrible stories. But we did see Hamilton. And, and then what they did in Hamilton was they had all the cast members. This was very wise. Um, uh, Javier Munez, who plays Hamilton, came out at the end, at the curtain call, and he said, you know, we, we want to encourage you to, we're going to support the people in Houston, and we'd like That's to great. encourage you, so we're going to have cast members out with buckets in, as you leave, and so they were really smart, because they stayed in costume, they ran out there with their buckets, and so in order to get your picture taken with the Hamilton person, you had to pay, you had to pay. and so people were throwing money in the bucket like crazy. Well, here, here's a, here's a, that's a nice that's a story. good story, yeah. Here's a nice story, too. <laughs> About a month ago, my wife Robin and I and yeah. another couple, we went to see Oslo. Now, Oslo is this, oh, have you seen we, it? We, we, no, my daughter Samantha's behind the camera. We're dying because we wanted to okay, see it. Okay, it's this great play, yeah. and it was at Lincoln Center, and it's about the Oslo Accord, and um, the, the peace talks there. Right. Okay, so it's a Sunday afternoon, it's a matinee, and we're seated in the theater, now, two rows up and across the aisle, yeah. okay, are Bill and Hillary Clinton. Stop! Did okay. she get a standing O when she let, came in? Let me tell All you right. what happened, okay? So, he was president while this play was taking place, the events in this play right. were taking place. So, I'm watching him watch this play, okay? <laughs> now, there were two standing ovations. At the end of intermission, Yeah. When Bill and Hillary were coming back down their seats, these are their legs, they're coming down <laughs> back to their seats, coming down the steps, back to their seats. She was ahead of him, and now word had gotten out, this is at Lincoln Center, right. that they were in the audience. The audience stood and applauded her, okay? Even more chilling, the last, the next to the last scene in the play mm -hmm. is actual news footage of Bill Clinton as president wow. back then with um, Yasser Arafat and Ishaq Rabin at the White House, sh they're shaking hands. The whole audience in the middle of the play stood up, Aww. applauded him. The really cool part, the 
That wasn't cool enough for you, That's Vicky. <laughs> Jaded Vicky. The, if that wasn't cool enough, the cast stopped what they were doing Stop. and applauded Bill Clinton. Oh my God. Wow. That, yeah. Oh, wow. That's a little better than your Focaccia yeah. janitor story. <laughs> yeah. that, that's chilling. Yeah, that just yeah. gave me goosebumps. Yeah. That's like unforgettable for That's life. what I'm here to do. I'm here to titillate you, and I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> We're kissing on Facebook. Yeah, He's yeah. kissing me. Kissing All right. So, so let's talk about let's talk about Alan for for a little bit. So you have a play running right now. Well, yeah. There's a play. There's a festival of one act plays that runs every year at the 59 East 59th Street Theaters. That's the name of the theater. And it's also the address, which, which is, is so easy. Yeah, it. because you only have to remember one thing. <laughs> That's right. You know what I mean? It's not like you know, the address and the name of the theater. It's just all one thing. And um, it's uh, and this is the third time I've had a one act in this festival, and it's they've got wonderful writers. Neil Labute has a play in it. And oh, Graham terrific. Moore. They have wonderful actors in it, and uh, my play is called Playing God, and it's for a limited run. Is it funny? Oh, it better be. Yeah, it's 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 very funny. And who's uh, playing God? Well, these, there are four wonderful actors mm -hmm. in it that I'm not sure your your audience or any audience would necessarily know. They're great actors. I bet my daughter would know. A guy named Bill Buell is playing God. Okay. See. Okay. So, uh, but he's fantastic, and mm -hmm. the reviews have been great. Mm -hmm. And so this festival ends this weekend. It only runs over the summer. But this is the third time I've had a one-act play in this festival over the last few years. So the next mission is to take all three and make a trilogy out of it and then hopefully do it at a place like Lincoln Center or the Manhattan Theater Fantastic. Club. All three place, plays take place in Boca Raton. So this would be called the Boca Club. Well, that's funny right yeah. there. Well, yeah. yeah. A lot of Jewish people. A lot of Jewish yeah. people. So, so where does playwright... All right. You've, all right, we have to go through it. You've won Emmy Awards, you've won Writers Guild Awards, lifetime achievement from Writers Guild East, and you're kind of young to be getting a lifetime achievement. Yeah, That's I was, I was, yeah, I was 59 at the time, and I remember when they gave me this award, I felt incredibly fraudulent, to be honest with you. <laughs> I hadn't done enough, I still don't think I've done enough, because I saw previous recipients, and they, they were my idols, they were Herb Gardner, it was Nora Ephron, all these people, and I'm going, why me? Well, yeah. And then I figured... No, you've it, got the credits, is what well, I Well, I, I figured out that the reason they gave it to me, that they saw some medical tests that I took, <laughs> and knew that there was something horrible going to happen to me very soon, so give it to them now. No, it was it's an incredible honor, and... Um, one that I'm very proud of. Another one yeah. that I'm proud of. The, the, the doctorate. You got a doctorate. An honorary PhD. Boy, did I fool those folks. I went to the University of Buffalo and um, I got an honorary doctorate, honorary PhD from the State University of New York. What's the highest level of education you had? I, I, was, I got a Bachelor of Arts at the University of Buffalo. Okay. Well, that's pretty good. Well, you, but the, here, here was interesting, though, because... You had to skip that whole master's thing. The whole master's yeah. thing and the, and, and the whole doctorate thing. They just gave it. <laughs> but this, what was interesting was I went to the University of Buffalo, late 60s, early 70s, which were the revolutionary mm -hmm. years on campus. Buffalo prided themselves in calling, prided themselves in calling themselves the, uh, the Berkeley of the East. Were they really? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that Berkeley called themselves the Buffalo of the West. <laughs> that would be my guess. I think I'd win that bet. But they did. And so, you know, there were, there were riots and tear gas and uh, National Guardsmen on the campus. Were you, were you politically? I was very politically active then. Were you active then? You know something? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I wanted to see what it was. But, but in, my, in, in that school, mm -hmm. it was... Um, if you got, I found out really early on because it was cool to be a rebel. It was easier to get laid at night if you got tear gassed in the afternoon. So I followed that. So they give me this honorary PhD, and I, I noted in my speech, mm -hmm. 6,500 people in the hockey arena because it was their graduation. Right. I, the, the irony that I was getting. Uh, honorary PhD from a school 
that I had tried to burn down 30 years earlier. I just, they usually, they usually don't reward people for that kind of behavior, but, but they did. I like it. Yeah. All right, so, so amidst all the, the, those are excellent awards. Both of those are excellent. Yeah. Emmy. I, th- I know I have a bunch. I have a few of those. Yes, you do. I was going to say bunch, but that's conceited. I have a few. A few and a bunch. I think a bunch is more than a few. Bunch is like five. How many have? I have a bunch. You have a bunch. <laughs> okay, so let's run down where they came. Where they come? Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. A Paul Simon special. I I, um, I was nominated. I think about eleven or thirteen. It's Gary Shandling show. How well, we were nominated too. But, but see, here's the thing with the it's Gary Shandling show. It's Gary Shandling show. When Gary and I did it for the first, did it for four years. Mm-hmm. The first three years that we were on the air, cable shows were not eligible for Emmy awards. There was something called the Cable Ace Awards. That's right. And we won a bunch of those. Okay? Right. And they were the ugliest awards. Really? They, were, they looked like hood ornaments. They were like, they, they, you know something? I have it in my shoulder bag. They, uh, they the ugliest. They looked like the spade, and the ace of spade. Okay? Oh, and, yeah. and it was heavy and pointy. And it was, we went, and then the f- last year we were on the air was the first year. That HBO cable shows, got legitimate. Well, we, well, that cable shows were eligible for Emmys, and we were nominated for a couple, but we didn't win. Okay, so so were they all? So the wins were were for Paul Simon Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. Okay, but so there was also when did you write for Letterman? Because my ex wrote Samantha's dad wrote. For I Letterman. had I had a, um, a real dream position at the Letterman show that was years afterwards mm-hmm. I want to say it was the 2008 election or maybe the 2012 you can yeah okay I, I never had an office there I um, Bill Sheft yes. who was one of the writers on the Gabe, show Gabe replaced him and for four and a half years while Bill was writing novels Gabe did not there. know this yes. okay I had been a guest many times yes on the Letterman show, mm-hmm. and I got along with Dave really well, and it was one of those two elections, I want to say 2008, mm-hmm. okay, um, they needed another voice, they thought, in terms of Dave's monologue, okay, about the political um, scene, and um, Bill Sheff said, how about Alan, and so the, I had this dream job where I would wake up at home in the morning, and I would just write a bunch of jokes, email them in. That's how and, Gabe started. And then I would just go and do my work. Yes. You know what I mean? That's a good that's a good gig. Yeah, it was a great gig. It, it was yeah. a great gig because I you know I didn't have to um, get dressed. Yes. It was when when my kids were very little, Gabe was doing that also and mm-hmm. then but then he replaced Chef and he was in the office. Yeah. And then the, some days were scary with Dave. Dave could be scary sometimes. I, I, I yeah, see I never experienced any of it. Yes. I just pushed send. But he was he still is. Genius, you know. There's nobody like Dave. All right, so then, so David Letterman and then Curb. So what, what was with Curb? Larry David um, was is one of my best friends, and when he started Curb, he and I were sharing offices, and he would come in and tell me. Um, I, and you were on the lot because what were you working on when you were on the lot? It wasn't a lot. It was oh. it was at Castle Rock, which is in Beverly Hills. There was a suite. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the three people who shared this suite it was office, 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 common area, bathroom. Okay, Billy Crystal, me, and Larry David. We what? shared this suite. There was okay? no laughing going on there at no, all. No, it was somber. It was <laughs> incredibly somber. And Larry was starting curb, and uh, he would come in and lie on the couch. And tell me what he was thinking about for any given episode, mm-hmm. and I would either say, "Oh, that's great," or maybe throw in a, an idea how to embellish something or another way to go. And then the second year of the show, we pretty much made it official. Okay, so I was a consulting producer mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and then I was in an episode, um, which was. So much fun. We've seen them all, so tell us. This was an episode, it was the last season Mm -hmm. of the first, what, season eight, okay? Because he's starting up again in October, but it was in the last season that Mm -hmm. he did. 
keep because every year I'd say let me be in an episode and every year it didn't happen and then finally he called me up and says he created a character called Duckstein and it was hilarious I had to play somebody he was shooting here in New York mm -hmm. I had to play somebody that who lived in LA just like Larry did mm -hmm. but I ran into him in New York in a Japanese restaurant and Larry didn't like this guy Duckstein but I said to Larry, why don't we have lunch? Because, you know, we're both in New York. And Larry said, why would I want to have lunch with you? I never have it in L.A. We both <laughs> live there. And I tried to convince him the whole episode to have lunch with It sounds with familiar me. to me. We have to go back yeah. and watch this episode yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, you should look at it. We definitely saw it. And, but, but doing it was so much fun because it was like every phone conversation I ever had with Larry my whole life. You know, going <laughs> since 1974. Plus, for me... It was hardly a stretch for me to play somebody that nobody wanted to eat with. You know, go through it every day of my, my life. You know? Okay, so now wait. So what I have been told, tell me if this is true, is that Larry gives you like a note with what you need to get to. Like, yeah. there's no dialogue. Basically, no, there is no, there is mm -hmm. no dialogue. It's, um, there are bullet points mm -hmm. that you have to hit. Say whatever you want, but hit these points because that's our plot. I love it. Yeah, it's so much fun. The actors love doing it, and it's um, my, our friend David Steinberg loves directing it. Our friend Brian Gordon, the same thing. And I think Brian's wife, um, Jesse Nelson, who I wrote a movie with, and is a good friend of mine. Which uh, one? All right, I know about North. I know about the story of us. Was the story called. of us. Yes. She, she and I wrote that movie together. Rob Ryan uh, directed it. So um, she directed a curve this year. I believe. Nice. Yeah. I thought David did all. David didn't do all of them. I guess. David, there you go. Dave, David did. I don't know how many he did this year, but he did do our other directors. I'm looking. It's like in October, I think. Susie just posted that it's gonna appear yeah. in October. Excellent. All right. So you've got other stuff going on. So one of your most heartfelt projects, I, I guess. I'm gonna. I'm gonna assume Bunny Bunny. Well, yeah, Bunny Bunny started out as a book it was um i didn't even intend for it to be a book my friend gilda radna passed away and it was when did you when did you write the book well after she passed away mm -hmm. she died in 1989 mm -hmm. and about three four years later my wife robin said you should write something about you and gilda she was my buddy we wrote a lot of things together when we were both on snl godmother of our kids and um, I, uh, I said, nah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to capitalize on a friendship. And she said, the hell with that. She said, your best friend died. You haven't even cried yet. And I went, well, yeah, I, I, I understood that. So to deal with the passing and the mm -hmm. loss, what I did was I tried to recreate, I tried to remember everything I could about our relationship. How did you and Gilda meet? Well, we met the first day of SNL, and what I did was, the whole book was pure dialogue. She talks, I talk, she talks, I talk to you, for 14 years. I try to remember every, <laughs> the key moments in our lives and stuff, because I, I didn't want paragraphs, I just wanted the words to sort of touch each other Was there ever a time. romance between you two? It was a platonic love affair. Mm. So, um, and, I'm, and that's part of the fun of the book, is because, uh, you know, because I, you know, look, platonic relationships, I always feel like there's one person in the relationship All right. I was just gonna say, who doesn't I, want it to be platonic. That's right, that's what they always say, there's one person. And I was the one who didn't want it, so you know, so I go, all right, so if these are the rules that I have to play by, mm -hmm. fine. But one of these days, he'll come to your senses, you know? But it never happened. But, um, so I wrote this book, that started when we first met, mm -hmm. and I even drew pictures in it. I'm a real shitty artist, but <laughs> it was just basically the sensibility of it. And so it started when we first met, and goes through all the years. Were you guys like instant? Like, did you have like that chemistry like immediately? Or yeah, did you, yeah, yeah. No, we when the, this minute the minute we met, we made each other laugh. Mm -hmm. And um, she was new to New York. She was originally from Detroit and then came here by way of Toronto, where she was in Second City. Mm -hmm. But the big city spooked her a little bit. And, yeah. I, and I was okay with this. I grew up on Long Island, was in the city all the time. My dad worked in the city. and you know, I, mm -hmm. So it, it became like a, um, 
brother-sister thing where we leaned on each other. We were a little nervous about this new show, and uh, I felt totally, totally outmatched because you had all these Second City people there who were brilliant, and my background was just writing jokes. For, I was going to say, okay, so how stand-up comics in the Catskill Mountains. So how did you get the gig? How did that happen? How did the Saturday, Saturday Night Live gig? Yeah. When I was writing for jokes writing for jokes. You see what you do to me? <laughs> I was writing jokes for comedians up in the Catskill Mountains. They were paying me $7 a joke. And as I recall, there's a very funny story how that started. How you started writing... For them? Yes. Well, I don't know how funny it is, but what happened was my mom and dad, in the summer of 72, mm -hmm. they went to Lake Tahoe, mm -hmm. and they went to a show. They went to a nightclub in whatever hotel. Lake Tahoe? That's not the Catskills. Lake Kayamisha. Lake, Lake Tahoe. Tahoe. Lake Tahoe. You're gonna edit my story? <laughs> That's Jews don't go to Lake Tahoe. Like, like parents went to Lake Tahoe okay. and they saw a guy uh, named Engelbert Humperdinck sing. No, you don't know. I'm looking he, at my. He was a too. singer, and the the opening act was a Catskill comedian named Morty Gunty. Of course. My mother ran into him the next day in a coffee shop and said. Um, my son wants to be a writer. He he gave her his name, address, and phone number. Wow. And he, and he lived in New City, New York. Now, a lot of the Catskill comedians lived, that's a little town in Rockland County, and they live there because it's halfway between Manhattan and the Catskills where they work, mm -hmm. okay, towards the hotels. So I wrote him some jokes, and I started writing for him, and then other Catskill comedians. So I used to go up. That's where the Catskills come in. But I met the guy was met in Lake Tahoe. Uh, and do you remember what your first the first joke you sold was by any chance? I mean, that's that's out there, but yeah, I had written a joke about a. I said they have a new about a sperm bank. I said they have a new thing now called sperm banks, which is just like an ordinary bank. Except here, after you make a deposit, you lose interest. Okay, so well, I got seven dollars for that. That was my first seven dollar joke. Yeah. But that's nice that he gave you a shot. Um, oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. And I started writing for all those guys, guys with names like Dick Lord, Dick Capri, Freddie Roman, um, Vic Arnell. Uh, it was a slew of them. Her grandfather, my father, was a MC in the Catskills. He introduced all of those guys. What hotel? Well, he was at the Plaza, then the El Dorado, and in the 70s, Green Acres and Lock Sheldrake. Yeah. So all, he introduced all those guys. Sure. He, so I was listening to the jokes you were writing a few days later. That's, all right. Okay, so you're writing jokes like that, so how do you get Saturday Night Live? Because those guys, I was 21, 22. Yeah. These guys were <clears throat> 40, 45. Mm -hmm. And I, it was like writing for my parents' friends. I, I, I couldn't, <laughs> I didn't, 21, you know, I don't want to write jokes about paving the driveway. Do you, you know what I mean? Gave a shit, you know? So I'd write the jokes that I thought were funny for my age group. Yeah. They wouldn't buy it because it didn't work mm -hmm. for their crowd. So what I did was I took all the jokes they wouldn't buy from me. Mm -hmm. And there were two clubs in New York at the time. One called Catch a Rising Star. The other called The Improvisation, which were showcases. And that's where young comics were starting out. Mm -hmm. Those were the new caskets. Those mm -hmm. were like the breeding ground. Right. So my plan was to go on stage and deliver the jokes that those old guys wouldn't buy from me okay. with the hope that a manager or an agent would like my writing and help me get a job as a TV writer. Did you always want to do that more than stand the stand-up didn't I, interest I, I you so much? I didn't want much? to be a stand-up, okay. no. I mean, I, I, I give speeches all over the country mm -hmm. now and I go on talk shows and all of that and I love doing that, mm -hmm. but no, I never wanted to be a comic. I like writing too much. and. I like the discipline of it. I, uh, so. Okay, so wait, before we get to the Saturday Night Live and how that happened, so how did the writing thing start? How did you know that was your, how did that become your pattern? When did you decide Oh, that's not that a bad uh, question. That's actually a very good question. Congratulations. Thank you. The, um, <laughs> it only took me 10. It started as a young kid. You know, I, I look, I used to watch the Dick Van Dyke show. Mm -hmm. So there was Dick Van Dyke, and he's married to this really pretty Mary mm -hmm. Tyler Moore. And they have a really nice house in New Rochelle, and they have a kid named Richie. And at work, he all he did was lie on a couch and <laughs> joke around with Buddy and Sally. So he's going, "I'd like to do that, you know. That seems like a nice life." 
So I thought it was an attractive thing to do. We used to have albums. Is that true? Yeah. Like that that was the first thing? That, that was the first thing I said, yeah, because it looked like an attractive, and at the same time I had this penchant for writing, even as a young kid, I used to listen to Alan uh, Sherman records, if you Alan remember Lugger, that. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we had all these parody songs and, and, and whatever, and then later on Woody Allen. And, um, so were you already? Yeah, when I was 12 and 13, I was doing are. that. And when I went to college, the University of Buffalo, um, I would write jokes mm-hmm. and mail them in to Johnny Carson, had the Tonight Show in mm-hmm. New York, Dick Cavett had a show. Mm-hmm. It was Mad Magazine. I have at home, my wife Robin found it when we moved back from L.A., a folder, a manila folder this thick, this thick, uh, <laughs> that's filled with uh, rejection slips from all of the TV shows that were on at the time that I write stuff and send them into. This is important. So now you're getting these rejection slips, but you're yeah. not stopping. No, I didn't stop because I, I look, all... I used to watch TV and with very few exceptions didn't think the comedies were funny. Okay? I didn't understand mm-hmm. why an audience was laughing or if there was canned laughter, mm-hmm. I was offended. Oh, I, was I a, hate canned I was, laughter. Well, I was offended mm-hmm. by yeah. it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so when I was at these clubs, I would deliver my jokes and uh, one night Lorne Michaels came in and saw heard the jokes, wanted to see more. I gave him a fold I gave him a, a, a binder that had eleven hundred jokes in it. And um, he uh, gave me a job on this new show that was gonna be called Saturday Night Live. So he came in it must have been like April or May of nineteen seventy five and our first day of work was that July. So now were you seasoned season. on state like was your delivery season like how did he know to hire you as a writer as opposed to a writer perform like oh I was a horrible comic <laughs> if you wanted to see a big juice sweating ah I was dreadful also all I did was deliver the jokes so here's do you, another do, one do, do you remember one yeah and then and either. Well, the sperm bank joke was in there. Um, <laughs> that was a good one. Because how I delivered it was, yeah, here's a joke I wrote for a guy who works. Oh, for the did casting. you really? Yeah, yeah, I probably put that in there. Um, <laughs> oh, here's another one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh God, I used to have jokes about oh, they would about my grandparents living in Florida, uh, which and, is still the current topic yeah, well, of your of your plays, which I love. Well, that just those three one X all take yeah. place in Boca Raton, yeah. But it's, my parents, my grandparents live in Florida, and he, um, uh, in this uh, apartment complex called the Wrinkled Arms. I think it was. <laughs> Can't even get these words out of it. It was so bad. And they, outside they have a kidney-shaped pool, and every morning, just to make it a little re- more realistic, they put little stones <laughs> in there. Oh, they were horrible, but I would tell these jokes. And then one joke I had was about my grandfather's pace as an electronic pacemaker in his heart, which worked great, except every time he sneezed, the garage door went up. <laughs> I, I haven't even thought about it. Thank you for reminding me. Shit. So now this is the stuff that got you Saturday Night Live? They were in the fall. They, they were in, in the they binder. They were in, they were in yeah, the binder. They were in the okay, so now you get on Saturday Night Live. You and Gilda find each other immediately. Immediately, you bond day. immediately. So, so were you automatically like you were writing stuff for Gilda? So, like, well, I wrote for everybody. I wrote yeah. the Samurais for John Belushi. I wrote a lot of Weekend Update for Chevy. I had more than my share of sketches and commercial parodies. But you know, when I, I wrote with, I was very lucky. I collaborated with a, this wonderful writer. He was like the dean mm-hmm. of the show. His name was Herb Sargent. Mm-hmm. He was a legendary. He had produced that was the week that was, which Love was that show. which was a show that also influenced me because mm-hmm. it was a live weekly show. Mm-hmm. I think it was on Friday nights where people like Buck Henry, who were in their cast, who had later who had later became it still is a mentor mm-hmm. of mine. Um, you know, uh, I bonded with Herb and mm-hmm. I wrote with him. I, I wrote a few things with Franken and with Dan Aykroyd, but probably Gilda more so than mm-hmm. everyone else, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we became, um, not writing partners, but we wrote a lot together. 
Okay, so now Saturday Night Live happens. It, 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 do you know when you're stored, do you sense that this is gonna be like? I had no idea. I had no idea. I think, the, I get asked a lot, I'm sure all of us get asked a lot, did you know right away that this was gonna, first of all, if you would have said to anybody, oh yeah, this would last 42 years, you would have been fucking talking, you're, you're crazy, are you insane? Yeah, that is okay, insane. Okay, think about that. But at the time, Lauren felt, and he might, might be the smartest person I've ever met, he said to all of us, he said there's an audience out there, <clears throat> baby boomers primarily, mm -hmm. who aren't being spoken to comedically. And, wow. And we had this, uh, and the only rule we had was to make each other laugh. And if we made each other laugh, we put it on TV, with, and he was confident that people would find us and tell their friends, people like us. And that happened. But I didn't, I, I, it'd be, I knew it would, here's an interesting thing. The week that I got, that Lauren gave me the job mm -hmm. on this new show, okay, this will mean nothing to you, Samantha. <laughs> But I am about to say, you're going to have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> the, I also got a job offer mm -hmm. to write the questions and bluff answers for Paul Lind on the Hollywood Squares. Hollywood no. Squares was a TV show, yeah. okay, and it was like a tic-tac-toe board. Mm -hmm. And contestants... You people at home who know what it is, bear with me. I'm explaining it to her daughter. My daughter's okay? 19, so. Okay, and it was a tic-tac-toe board, okay, mm -hmm. with different stars in each box, okay, like the nine boxes in the tic-tac-toe board. Right. A guy named Paul Lind was in the middle square, okay, all the time. And contestants, if they got the answer right, they got either an X or an O, okay, and then you, if you, you had to win the game. You'd win the game, okay. okay. Paul Lind was the funny guy, the funniest of all of them, and I got a job writing the questions and bluff answers for him, and for a little while, not for a long while, mm -hmm. it was a little bit of a dilemma because <clears throat> Hollywood Squares was going to begin its ninth season, Right. it was prime time, Right. it was West Coast where the whole industry is higher pay scale, mm -hmm. and all the stars that were in these boxes mm -hmm. had their own shows, their own Las Vegas acts. Oh, yeah, you so could it, it, it was an entree, mm -hmm. whereas this Saturday Night Live thing, who's John Belushi? 11.30 to 1 <laughs> on Saturday night? Nobody was watching TV. Right. Samantha and there were, no TV, there were no VCRs, DVRs, nothing then. No, there was, only, there was no cable. There yeah. was no Fox even, ABC, NBC, CBS, there was television. Late night, mm -hmm. uh, East Coast, so the pay scale was No, there was, was WNE, there was whatever it was called. There was a Fox, there was a Channel 5 no, and There was a no Channel network. 9. That was but local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no network. Yeah, yeah. The Fox network didn't happen until no, the 80s. that's right. Because it's Gary Shanling's show ended up being on there. So mm -hmm. I remember this very vividly. Yeah. Um, no, locally, just the Fox right. then was like PIX. Or right, WR. right. So, um, and so, for a couple of minutes, we go, Jesus, I got these two job offers, this established big, big time Hollywood show, and this, but there was just something about this, the grittiness of what was going to be happening at SNL. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this. So, is that indicative of career decisions that you've made, where you've? Yeah, you, where you go with your gut. Okay. You go where you um, go. I have a feeling that. And, he, and that going with your gut doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be successful. Okay, did that ever go against, did that ever not work out for you? Going with my gut? Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've had movies that got the worst reviews ever, <laughs> and I've had TV shows that were canceled, you know, I think we all have, I mean, it's, it's not all, um, you know, it's not mm -hmm. all ascending, it's like this. And um, you, you ride out this with the hopes that this will happen again. And, uh, but if you're going to spend so much time doing what we do, mm -hmm. especially when you're doing something by yourself, being with a team is, is one thing, and that's fun. It's social and it's the, the synergy of it, just like a dinner party would be. You know, if you have a good group of people, it's a fun party, you know. Uh, and you've written with some really fun people, well, Dave Barry, for one. Well, Dave Barry, you'll see, there's another example. I write books, 
and I met Dave Barry a number of years ago. Um, Steve Martin, who was being given the Mark Twain Award down in Washington, and uh, my friend Larry David. Steve asked Larry to be uh, do a speech about him, okay? And Dave Barry also gave a speech about him. And Larry asked me to help him with his speech, and he also wanted me to come down there with him, which I did. And at the after party, after the Kennedy Center thing, Dave Barry, it depends on who you speak to. If you ask Dave, mm -hmm. he'll say that I just crawled to his feet and kissed his shoes and said, please acknowledge that I exist. I don't remember it like that. I, I remember him doing that to me, okay? So we became friends, and then we'd see each other on book tour, and his mm -hmm. wife Michelle and my wife Robin became friends. And then a few years ago, I said, why don't we write something together? And he lives in Coral Gables, Florida. I live in New Jersey, and we figured out how to write a, a uh, we wrote a novel together called Lunatics, where which I love. Was, was a well, it's a feud between mm -hmm. two neighbors. Mm -hmm. He was one of them. Mm -hmm. I was the other, and we alternated chapters, and it just escalated. This feud, this local feud, escalated to have international implications, and then we we've we've done speaking engagements together. We're, we're good friends, but yeah, but that's an example of wanting to do something with other people because it's so lonely to be by yourself doing okay it. but now you're in two different cities yeah and you're each writing a chapter right how much collaboration is going on that's the collaboration we didn't even have an outline i responded to what he sent me and i go oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i go okay my guy would respond this way and to and just advance the plot and um and he would do the same and, okay, and but your more recent collaboration with, with well, Adam Mansback Ma is more, I'm thinking it had to be more collaborative. No, I'll tell you what happened. Okay, so, so tell us what it... What Vicky is trying to say, okay, <laughs> for those of you who have training wheels, okay, what Vicky is trying to say is there's another writer out there, and if you don't know Adam Mansback's name, he wrote a children's book a few years ago which sold like a gazillion copies. It was well, a called Go to Fuck to Sleep. It, it's a model for my book, which is Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, My Fucking Mother, Don't Jump. But, but that was one of the models. Well, for, he yeah. wrote a book, Go to Fuck to Sleep, and young and parents who have got toddlers and it's young his, kids it's hysterical give it to book. each other. Yes. And, <laughs> and if you want to really laugh, the audio version is done by Samuel L. Jackson. So you hear Samuel L. Jackson reading his book, telling this kid to bro, bro, he's like, he's going to kill this kid. Yeah, Google that, it's hilarious. So so this collaboration for For This We Left Israel, for This We Left... Well, what happened first was I met, I was given a keynote speech at the Tucson Book Fair, it's about four years ago, and there's about 1,100 people at the beginning of this book fair at this reception, and I'm looking to see what authors are there, and I see that this guy Adam Mansback is at whatever table. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, my daughter Sari sent me that week the link with Samuel L. Jackson reading that. <laughs> so I sought him out, mm -hmm. and we, we liked each other, and we decided to write a book together, and we wrote a book together called Benjamin Franklin, oh, yeah, yeah. Huge Pain in My Ass, okay? <laughs> and it's a middle grade book, and we did it the same way, he was a 13-year-old kid, okay. okay, who wrote a letter to Benjamin Franklin, and it got to him mm -hmm. through these magic stamps. And because Adam was 39 at the time, I was closer in age to Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> so I was I was the voice of Benjamin Franklin, and that was successful. We were down in Miami at a book fair down there. Mm -hmm. I introduced those two, mm -hmm. and then the three of us said, "Okay, let's us do something." Adam came up with the idea: let's do a parody of the Haggadah. So what we did... Wait, explain what a Haggadah is. Oh, yeah, for you guy people. <laughs> a Haggadah for you, is, the, uh, is the book. It's the liturgy that is read at the Seder. That's the name of the book, Haggadah. So what Passover. We, Passover. The meal. The thing. Oh, Passover is not the meal. The well, no, Seder's the Seder's the meal. The meal. During right, Passover. Right. It's amazing how much I have to teach it. The... Um, <laughs> So what we did was we got a copy of the actual Haggadah right. and we just divided up 
the table oh. of contents. Oh. So I'll take the golden calf. I'm gonna take this. You'll take that. So you're not. You're not. We're, we're never in the same room. Wow. Right. And then we would write our chapters. Uh -huh. Adam, I think, kept. We'd send everything to each but other. It has very much a similar, but there's a voice that goes through well, it. Well, okay. We now we had a hundred pages. Okay. We got a book deal on mm -hmm. it. We completed the Haggadah, mm -hmm. and then the editing process became where we gave it some sort of continuity. Oh, I see. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, there were redundancies because sometimes something I would write would overlap and encroach mm -hmm. on something Dave was writing. So okay, let's lose yours. You might have blended better. You know right, what I mean? right. So that and then one another example of wanting to do something with other people because you recognize that. The collaboration will make the product better, mm -hmm. and also there's the social aspect of it. You know, you're still working on your own play. Right. Dave, Dave is still working on his own novels. Adam is still working on his own novel. You know, I'm working on whatever pilot or whatever I was doing. Mm -hmm. But here was something you look forward to because you're dealing with other people. Yeah. You know. So, so Saturday Night Live was an experience, and. Um, it's Gary Shandling's show and Curb and Letter, well, not Letter because you were writing at home, where you're in a place where there's other people. Oh, God, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And I miss it to this day. Um, SNL, and then when Gary and I started It's Gary Shandling's show, first of all, my collaboration with Gary was, for me, was like lightning struck again. It was like having Gilda again, like having Herb Sargent again. I'm going, wow, here's another guy who thinks the same way I do, but different enough mm -hmm. where one and one equal three. It's, it's the physics. It's like two equal forces going like that. And um, Gary, in his own way, might have been, well, let's put it this way, um, he was an amazing writer. Yeah. He's an amazing writer. And then I collaborated with Billy Crystal on 700 Sundays. Okay, so did that happen because you met at Saturday Night Live? You no, I didn't meet Billy at Saturday Night Live. Okay. I met Billy at the clubs before I got SNL. Okay. We remained friends all through the years. Mm -hmm. And then when we ultimately, as luck would have it, when we shared those offices with Larry David mm -hmm. and Billy and I at Castle Rock, uh, Billy and I became closer and closer, um, Uncle Billy to the kids, mm -hmm. and we had never worked with each other. We just hadn't we'd done all these movies, and. We just never work with each other. And then he came in one day and said, I'm thinking of doing a play, a one-man show, about my dad called 700 Sundays. Billy's dad, when he was, Billy was growing up, had two, sometimes three jobs, and he worked six days a week, okay? Sundays was their day. To, be with each other, go to Yankee game, go bowling, go to the beach. And Billy's dad died suddenly when Billy was 15. So Billy calculated he had approximately 700 Sundays, mm. hence the title. And we he saw it. Okay, and he said, will you write this with me? And I said, yeah, you bet. You know, And it was um, an incredible honor mm. that somebody would trust me with their life Mm -hmm. You know, so it was, um, and I had a right for characters who I never met. Mm -hmm. But then again, he's a Jew from Long Island. I'm a Jew <laughs> from Long Island, so it's not like I was running for Martians. I mean, I, 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 I knew who they were. You know what I mean? <laughs> what are we talking about? You know. Plus, Billy's made them so alive. All of those it was characters. magical. I mean, he impersonated them. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And Des Mackinoff um, directed it. Des, who has since uh, directed, among other things, uh, Jersey Boys. Mm -hmm. You know, he's this brilliant director. So it, it was an incredibly rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. But once again, it was a collaboration. And wasn't there like a conflict with Martin Short? Didn't Martin Short want you to do something and you couldn't do it right away because you had something else going yeah, on? Yeah, Marty Short, who is is like a gift to, to the world. He's so, might be one of the nicest people that, that I've ever met. He's a good pal and he's so versatile. And he said, he was going to do a show, um, a Broadway show that 
The music was written by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, who have since given us hairspray among so many other things. Sister Act. Well aware. Okay, you're well aware. Mm -hmm. And um, he asked me if I would write the book for the show, and I was going to go on tour, book mm -hmm. tour, for my own for my novel that I'd written called The Other Showman, and so I couldn't. Mm -hmm. Okay, I had this two and a half, three month book tour to do. When I got back from the tour, mm -hmm. we had the same manager, Bernie Brillstein, was our manager, and I barely had my coat off, okay, and I hadn't been home in a while from this book tour, and Bernie, you know, how was the tour? I go, oh, it was great, great, now get your ass back to the airport, we're sending you to San Francisco. I go, what are you talking about? Marty's show was on the road, and um, I guess they needed a set of fresh eyes, you know, so I went to San Francisco, I saw the show, thought that I could be of help, mm -hmm. And um, said, okay, I'd like to help here. I'd like to write. And so it then went to Toronto, where they were doing the same. This was fascinating. They were doing in Toronto the same show that I saw in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they did that show, but I was rewriting the show. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't put it on in Toronto because it was too quick and it, the lighting and cues and all of that. They were rehearsing the new show, the show that I was writing, mm -hmm. in the lobby of the theater in Toronto. While they were performing the While we were performing the old show at night. And then when we went to Chicago, they put on the show that we had been rehearsing in the lobby in Toronto. And that was the show that we brought to them. Wow. Yeah. So how did how did playwriting start for you? Oh, that started right after SNL. When I left SNL in 1980, there was and there still is there's this um, theater called the Ensemble Studio Theater, which is all the way on, are you familiar with it, Samantha? Mm -hmm. So all the way on the west side, like 52nd, in the middle of the Hudson River. That's how, we <laughs> That's how west it is, okay? Yeah, it's 52nd in Wyoming. It's really west. And um, it's this really cool theater. You gotta take an elevator up. It's like sort of this dilapidated building. And they have a marathon every year. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a, a couple of years running. I had plays in, in, in it um, that, that did well. And I always liked the theater. I, I liked it because it was, for a writer, I think that's where that and books are where writers have the most power. All right, I was going to ask you if you had to pick, if you could only do one thing, ride one horse, if you had to pick TV, playwriting, books, what when you're writing, what's is is there one medium that like just thrills you like nothing? Well, else? what thrills me is immediate feedback from an audience. Mm -hmm. Okay, and since I'm not doing live television. Mm -hmm. um, the theater is the closest at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm developing some TV things, and should they go forward, yeah, they'll be shot, maybe shot in front of a studio audience, or maybe they'll be filmed, and there won't be a studio. Mm -hmm. So, but writing something for the when look, when we were doing Seven Hundred Sundays, we were at a place called La Jolla, mm -hmm. La Jolla Playhouse. And they have a program called From the Page to the Stage, mm -hmm. and it's a 500 seat theater. And I did it also there with my friend David Steinberg when he was trying, he was playing with a one man show. You do this show, mm -hmm. and then there's notes, and then I'd go to the business center in the morning, mm -hmm. and I'd write stuff, and it would go into rehearsal. And in the case of Billy, mm -hmm. or in the case of David Steinberg, if they liked it, mm -hmm. they put it in the show that night. So it was, it was like writing something in the morning and there was an audience reaction. Wow. Or not. <laughs> a few hours later. Uh -huh. So there's something really thrilling about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's also if you're an egomaniac like me, it gives you the opportunity <laughs> to stand in the back of the theater and go, I wrote that. <laughs> and, and no pull to like get in front of the camera? No, I, no. Um, I just want to keep on coming back to your mother's apartment and doing this. That, that's my real goal. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm hoping comes out of this. No, no, no. Like I said, I like going on talk shows and I like talk, because uh, 
I do this thing called celebrity autobiography. Oh, God, I love it. I, and and mm -hmm. for those of you who don't know what it is, is a guy named Eugene Pack and his wife, Dale Ray Fell, they, they, they created this show called Celebrity Autobiography where actors, okay, go on stage and they read celebrities' autobiographies. And it's hilarious. And they're usually not wonderful. They're awful, <laughs> and, but they're so indulgent. Like, who gives well, a shit? So whose do you read? Well, they usually give me, you know, you're not allowed to change any of the dialogue. Right. You, you can only read what's there, but you can put a spin on it, you can raise an eyebrow, you can, you know. And um, so they'll give me, well, they used to give me people who were so counter. Like? Well, they give me Eminem. Okay, so the big Jew goes, <laughs> and then I fucked her in a van, you know? So it's like, wait a second, you know? Uh, but um, they give me uh, Joe Namath. They give oh, me, nice. I was doing, they had me read Trump for a while, but then Trump became the president, oh. and they thought it would be too divisive if anybody <laughs> read Trump, so we, we stopped doing that. But, you know, everybody has done it. You know, Matthew Broderick, a lot of Broadway people like Nathan Lane, I think Marty Short did it, Kristen Wiig, people who's ever read Absolutely. It's a, it's a great Bruce Valanche did it in my living room, and he read as Star Jones. Yeah. And um, and then um, I saw Lorraine do it with Lainey Kazan. Like, crazy people do oh, it. Oh, yeah, Fantastic and then Richard people. Kind, who is yes, hilarious. Yes, I saw Richard Kind do it. Well, you know, he'll, he'll read Vanna White's, <laughs> and he does it like it's Hamlet. <laughs> and then I approach the letter, and I, you know... And Mario Cantone was one of the funniest guys <laughs> yes. in the world. We do a mashup where they combine a couple of uh, autobiographies. The other night we were doing it in uh, Guild Hall in East Hampton, and I was reading f with Mario. I was reading from Geraldo Rivera's <laughs> autobiography, and he's talking oh, in there about when he had a little sexual encounter with Liza Minnelli in a bathroom stall at Studio 54, and Mario read Liza Minnelli. We give Mario a lot of the women, Barbara Streisand. It's hilarious, you know? Fantastic. So, um, so things like that, yeah, it's in front of an audience, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and like I said, talk shows or whatever, but no, I, I, I do a good me. I, I, you, in, even a celebrity or a biography, if they get a, a celebrity who's got an accent, they'll, mm -hmm. they'll impersonate them or do an I can't do accents. <laughs> I can't. If somebody didn't grow up in my bedroom, I can't do it. It's too much of a stretch. But if somebody slept in my bed, I can do that. Okay? All right. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're getting close to, to time. So... Are Alan. we going to take questions and answers so, from Samantha? Yeah, Our <laughs> people, Samantha hasn't touched the camera, you noticed, because last week with Hello. Now, people aren't like in little bubbles of things. So, this show is called The Road Taken. And, the, and as we discussed before, the, the whole purpose of this show is to try to figure out how you manage to merge creativity and commerce and make this your life and be successful at it. Oh, yes. Okay, so you had some of these, but you had a lot of these. Was there something that drove you from the beginning? Like, did you did you have a plan B? No, I didn't Good. have a plan B. Okay. And um, and when during fallow times, mm -hmm. if you will, it can get scary. Okay. You have but kids. I have kids and I have grandchildren. But when the kids would grow up, yeah, mm -hmm. especially when we're living in L.A. and and and, and all of that. Because if a TV show got canceled, you mm -hmm. go, all right, what's next? Did your parents support you when you were? Uh, you, My I, parents were the most supportive people I could ever have wanted to when I started. Mm -hmm. the, um, they lent me their car to drive up to the Catskills. Mm -hmm. they, my dad would be wake, waiting up for me. I'd come in, let's say, 4.30 in the morning. He'd hear me come in, and he'd make me this really early breakfast and ask me how the shows went. My and they never and said, why don't you be a doctor? Why don't you no. be I got my, I love my, this. They, they, were, they were everything that you would hope to be, because I do know people whose parents were discouraging, mm -hmm. and it's scary enough, and when you have what should be your support system uh, discouraging you, mm -hmm. it's that much harder. My parents couldn't have been better. 
Those people that you're taught that you're referencing, some of them are successful, I gather. Some of them are very successful, mm -hmm. okay. But it was another. Now maybe they fed off of the negativity. Maybe maybe there was a motivation. Oh yeah, I'll show them. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have that resistance, so it was um, it was hard enough. And so to have that kind of encouragement was really cool. It's it's phenomenal. Did yeah. you did you ever? question your, did you know I'm good, I'm funny, I can do this? I mean, without, I, I'm, this is not an egocentric question, this is the truth. I mean, from your gut, when you, you know when you write something funny and you make yourself laugh, right? You know that it's funny yeah. when you make yourself laugh. Right, but you do go through periods where what you're writing is not being uh, received the way you want it to be, mm -hmm. either because of timing, mm -hmm. Casting, mm -hmm. um, or there are days, or there's, there's there are periods of time. I wake up five thirty every morning to start writing. Wow! But there are certain days where, by eight o'clock, which is only two and a half hours later, I go. I don't think I have it today. Okay, and that's scary because it's only eight o'clock in the morning. I'm putting a full day's work. <laughs> and now we're going to go to the schoolyard. Where we're we going to go? But. What I think what motivates you is I, I'm oh look I'm of an old school where I think that writers are made, are, are, are born and not mm -hmm. made, and so I think that it's part of the DNA to write. I, I, I truly believe that. So good, bad, or otherwise, um, writers write. Um, but if you're talking about periods of self doubt mm -hmm. and whatever, I think we all have it at certain times, but. I think that what you hope for is to um, do what you do with the hopes that the next thing will hit, you know? So, you get up at five in the morning, is, is this a practice that you've had for a long I time? I did it when the kids were younger because I could get a few hours in before they'd get up and, mm -hmm. and, and take them to school. That would be my first break. Well, okay, and so how much of your day is writing? Well. If I'm on a roll, I'll follow it until you know I'm, I'm running on fumes, and that, that can go until four in the afternoon, or it could end at noon, you know. And, but it's substantial, mm -hmm. you know. But you reach a point where you go. Uh, now this is when you're writing alone. Mm -hmm. Now if you're writing on a TV show where you're with a group of writers, you've got other deadlines in because the sets have to be built and an audience is mm -hmm. coming in and whatever. So that's why you have. Um, a staff, mm -hmm. because if you're having, you know, if, if you're not cooking for whatever somebody reason, else somebody is. else will, or mm -hmm. the combinations right. of the people will make something better, right? you know, but when you do it by yourself, um, it's such an unnatural act, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just be alone in a room and, and try to be funny, you, you know, rested for you <laughs> some places for that. So, so... If you had to say, can you point to something that you think, what, what drives you, do you think? What, what, what's your motivation for, what is your motivation for getting up in the morning and sitting down at that time? Be because, that there time are, I, because there are ideas that you have that you want to give birth to. And so, or, I mean, I know your work, a lot of it comes from life. Yeah. Um, but then you do have a very active imagination. Lunatics sure. is a good example of that. Lunatics is something that didn't happen, and Dave and I cooked it up, uh, Dave Barry and I. So I think that, um, you know, you have a lot of muscles, just like you go to the gym and, you know. You, you do? You oh, yes. Up, okay. <laughs> and, and you work on different muscles mm -hmm. and stuff, and um, it's the same thing. What, so, is there anything that you've yet to do? I mean, I know Bunny Bunny is Sony Television, maybe. Well, well, is no, Sony Television is is the possibility there is of my novel, The Other Showman. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Series, right, right, right. Bunny Bunny would be a play, um, uh, which had run off Broadway, and they're loftier plans for it right now. Let's see what happens. Anything could die. What's, what's, tell us a little bit about The Other Shulman. The Other Shulman was a novel that I wrote. The Thurber Prize winning. It won the Thurber Prize, but it's, it takes place while a guy named, named Shulman 
is running the New York City Marathon. And if you look at the book, it's very clever because each chapter is a different mile. So there's 26.2 chapters. <laughs> See how clever that is? Yeah. Point two. Yeah, yeah, .2. So, you know, in, if it were to become a limited series, the first episode would be miles one through three, and mm -hmm. then the second until at the end of the, you know, the marathon is complete. And, the, I guy, like the it. guy running through his mm -hmm. life and the complications of what his life is like right mm -hmm. now, and um, if you know, we'll see what happens. Anything could either materialize or not. But but that's an example. There's a book that even if it doesn't materialize, let's say it doesn't happen mm -hmm. for whatever reason, mm -hmm. it's a book that I wrote nine years ago, mm -hmm. and now. It, it can conceivably come back again in a different form, mm -hmm. you know. So nothing. Um, Which is what happened with Bunny Bunny. It's what happened, with, especially now with TV, with limited series and right. all the digital stuff. Nothing goes to waste. Nothing. The, the opportunities for writing are, are, are manifold compared to what it was, because you can tell a story in eight episodes and then. That's the end of it. It doesn't have to be 22 episodes that would last a season for seven seasons to right. first education. So does that, does that, the idea of doing like a Netflix, Amazon series turn you, like, are you uh, Very much so. Yeah. Ah. Very, very much yes. so. I think a lot of um, people, if you're adapting something, if, you, if you're adapting something that has got a beginning, a middle, and end, like mm -hmm. any book does, mm -hmm. I think it's a perfect, uh, medium for it because you can tell your story over this the art could be like this mm -hmm. as opposed to like that you, because not everything can last a real long time some right. stories it, it's you know you do it and then you move on you know you, you complete it you know whereas other things can continue on and on and on you know the way Seinfeld did Mary Tyler Moore the classic shows all in the family, you know, the sitcoms. But right. now you've got opportunities that, um, where the material itself will tell you how it wants to exist, as opposed to trying to force it into a form mm -hmm. that it doesn't want to exist, but those are the only forms that are available to you. You know, just like any writer, you know, some, some ideas you have are only a three-page article in the New Yorker. They're not meant to be Isn't, movies. Wouldn't that be terrible that it's just a three? No, no, but what I'm saying <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, I hear you. what used to be, mm -hmm. and is less so now, is um, trying to take something and um, force it to become something it doesn't mm -hmm. want to be. Mm -hmm. But now, like I said, those different avenues are available that the best way to tell a particular story is available to you. So, is there anything that you can point to, like if, if somebody like Samantha were coming to you and saying, I'm a writer and I want to do this, or I'm an actor and I want to do this, is there any advice that you can, is there anything that helped you the most when you were struggling? What? Um, it's such a cliche, but you, you've got to keep writing. And no matter what, and don't listen to anybody who's negative. Don't let anybody discourage you. Don't. Let so what did you do with stuff like that? So if, if you got a bad review, or if or it, what do you do with it? It hurts. Mm -hmm. It's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. But you, how much power are you going to give somebody who's negative? And I'm talking about friends also. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about people that have written May, mm -hmm. right? So the summer was fine, mm -hmm. but now comes September and all your friends go to med school and graduate school and dental school and law school, and I'm still now I, I'm still home, and I'm, I'm working in a delicatessen, you know. And you're writing jokes. I'm writing the guys jokes for the guys in the Catskills for seven dollars a joke. That was lonely and that was scary because these guys knew that four years later, come hell or high water, if they stuck to it, they would be doctors. You know, and I'm going, what, the, what am I doing here, you know? So that was scary. How long was that period till you... Well, because I graduated college when I was 22. Yeah. 
and I got the job on SNL uh, when I was just about well, almost 25. So let's say three years. Okay. But you don't know when it's going to end. That's right. You don't know if that was going to be 10 years. But you, there was going to be no plan B no matter what. You were going to you were going to do this no matter what. I'd like to say that, but let's let's say let's say I didn't get it. For, let's say nothing yeah. happened for ten years, and I always wanted to get married. Always wanted to have kids, you know. So maybe a, a, a plan B would have come along, or would have presented itself. But but you it, didn't entertain it. No, no, I didn't. Well, I th I think that's the secret to your success, or one of the secrets to your uh, success. You know something? You got to you know. Um, you look at my friend Larry David, who. We all look at it in awe. We we knew how brilliant he was. But Larry was a comedian's comedian. I I remember Larry would go up and bomb at absolutely. Yeah. And he struggled. Late and night. Struggled and struggled and struggled. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, uh, but he waited for the rest of the world to catch up to him. Yeah. He believed in himself. Yes, he did. Uh, there you go. There it is. There's the takeaway. Believing in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and don't let the naysayers uh, discourage you. I like there it. are a lot of them out there. So before we go, Alan, do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that you do that you hope that like nobody knows that you do, or that you watch, or that you eat, or that you listen to, or that you any anything like that? Well, does it count that I have seen every Law and Order SVU? that was ever produced and I keep it on watching it while I'm writing. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, because I've seen them all so I won't become too engrossed in it so I can, but it's like white noise. You can have that on while you write. And do you know what's, do you know what's going on? Oh, oh yeah. I can tell what episode of it. I was in a couple of Law & Orders, okay? Which one is SVU? SVU is Special Victims Unit. And who's the star of that one? Mariska Harkatay oh. and Chris Maloney and Belza. But the mothership, the Law and mm -hmm. Order, I was actually in a couple of them because during one of the Writers Guild strikes, the guy who was picketing behind me, a guy named Fred Berner, who was a producer on Law and Order, and we got to talking, and I said to him, you know, my goal in life be to be on Law and Order and get killed before the opening credits. I'd like to be floating in the river. I'd like to be, you know, a thing falls on me or a bullet. And then he called me about a month later and he said, "How about getting hit in the head with a champagne bottle?" I said, "Perfect." Okay. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, well, there's nothing like becoming part of your own fantasy. I love it, Alan. Thank you so much for doing Thanks this. Thanks for having me. Um, Thank you, Samantha, for, for shooting us. Thank you out there in Facebook land, and um, we'll see you next week with another The Road Taken.